Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 984. On today's show, David Lorelo welcomes Ellen Adair, actor, analyst, podcast host, and most importantly, diehard Philadelphia Phillies fan. David and Ellen begin by discussing the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby, and how they felt about things like the uniforms and miking up the pitchers. Ellen also goes over which Phillies were snubbed for the All-Star Squad, as well as how Dick Allen has been snubbed and undeservedly left out of the Hall of Fame. We also hear thoughts on Derek Hall, Matt Veerling, Bryce Harper, and how the team changed following the firing of Joe Girardi. Obviously, winning brings about good vibes and losing brings about bad vibes, and so it can be kind of a feedback loop that way. But I think that it feels evident what a manager does at this point when there's so much front office input in terms of the way that the lineups are constructed and even sort of in-game management and so on. Like a manager's really just in charge of esprit de corps and it seems like Girardi wasn't maybe doing a great job at that and perhaps that's also the reason why he was fired by the Yankees and that Rob Thompson is maybe just gives a better St. Crispin's Day speech. But before we get to this wonderful segment, I must issue my weekly reminder for you to check out the Fangraphs.com shop. Not only can you get yourself some sweet, sweet Fangraphs merch, but you can scoop up a Fangraphs ad-free membership, good for yourself or as a gift for a friend. This is the best way to not only browse the site at blazing fast speeds, but also to support the site and help us to keep doing everything we do. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorla. My guest is Ellen Adair, actor, artist, podcast host, Philadelphia Phillies fan. Ellen, I don't know if I'm getting those in the right order or if I'm backwards or scattered or what that is. I don't know. I feel like that might be the order that they come in. I mean, not certainly the order that they came in chronologically in my life. I will have people ask me sometimes, like, when did you become a Phillies fan? And my answer is always, I don't remember not being a Phillies fan. Like, love of my parents and the Phillies are the only things that really go back as far as I can remember. So maybe it should be first. (laughs) But it's also the saddest one. (laughs) Well, this is a baseball podcast, right? Yeah. But I mean, sad is relative. If you go back to the beginning of franchise history, which was back in the, you know, the 1800s Quakers, this team has had a pretty sorry past, but they have won two World Series. And would they both be in your your lifetime, I think? They're not both in my lifetime. No. Okay. The other was not probably a far miss. I guess I shouldn't be asking you about age. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was alive in that same decade. Yes. But uh, yes, I was alive to see 2008 happen. And so that that's glorious. But indeed, it's an argument that I sometimes have with my Mets fan husband about, you know, the historical benightedness of the New York Mets. And I'm like, nevertheless, they still have as many world championships as the Phillies do in far less time. <laughs> Well, yes, and and I am in Boston, so I am very familiar with not winning championships and then winning championships. So <laughs> indeed, yes. So now you know about it better than almost anyone in this century. <laughs> yes, the the Phillies and Red Sox could meet in the World Series someday, but before we get to theoreticals like that, and we're mostly, I think, going to talk about the Phillies. You know, today is Wednesday that we're speaking. Did you watch the All Star Game last night? I did. I did. 
Although I I will confess that at a certain point, it sort of became a little bit of multitasking time with the All-Star game. (laughs) Well, I think that there was a lot of multitasking on the actual TV production of it. And that was something I want to touch on with you, Ellen, is has the game become too entertainment focused? I have seen it referred to as like a promotional platform. Yeah, as opposed to an actual game, mm-hmm. or is really what they're doing now, you know, good for baseball? I mean, I think that what they're doing right now provides a relatively high floor for the event. Because let us imagine that they were not having players being mic'd up, doing interviews and so on. It would have been a pretty boring game last night. Like the the fun thing about it, the thing that you can count on if you are, for example, a, a National League fan rooting for the National League and seeing them lose for the ninth consecutive year. The thing that you can root for is like, well, this will be fun. We'll get to see players being mic'd up while they're playing and whether they deal with that gracefully or not. That will still be sort of interesting to watch. And, you know, we get to see the biggest stars of the game kind of jiving together or doing whatever. Like, I think that that provides that kind of entertainment, even if the game ends up being kind of a dud. <laughs> well, speaking of, of entertainment, uh, who is more fun, Alec Manoa or Nestor Cortez? I actually really enjoyed Alec Manoa's uh, sort of awkwardness about it. I don't know. It made me think I wouldn't want to do that, and I'm proud of him for doing it. <laughs> no, I think, well, awkward, it's, I guess it's tough when you're standing on a mound uh, yeah. in the middle of a baseball game, but I think Alec Manoa would probably be a far better podcast host than I am. I think that's demonstrably untrue. <laughs> He's a very entertaining individual. No, he's great. And Nestor is great, too. And that's where, you know, I'm really glad that they did choose those two people, you know, among others to really highlight how fun Major League Baseball players actually are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe the awkwardness was in the eye of the beholder that I was like, oh, my gosh, don't mic up somebody while they're pitching. This feels impossible. And like, what are you what are you really going to say while you're pitching? You know, it's not like miking up an outfielder. It's not the same that way. So, I, yes, they both they both did an excellent job in that particular regard. What about the uniforms? Do you? Oh, like- I hate it. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I feel like everybody should be out there in their own, you know, rainbow of uniforms. I feel like that's more fun. I don't disagree. I am, you know, I I like to be a progressive. I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but with baseball, I am a traditionalist in a lot of ways. So, yes, MLB, please. Uh, you know, traditional uniforms. I know it doesn't make you as much money, and that's the big goal, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But yeah, but hey, that's baseball. But who's really buying those uniforms? <laughs> the ones from last night? Who's like, yeah, that's what I want? Well, I think maybe, and I guess we probably don't need to be delving into baseball, you know, politics here. But I think Nike and the money Nike is paying has a lot more to do with than who's actually buying them. I see. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, hey, let's let's jump to something else. All right. Home Run Derby. Did you watch that? I was not able to watch that, unfortunately, which I think we all sort of agree at this point is sort of the more interesting of the spectator sports between the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby. But no, I was not able to watch on Monday. 
Nor was I actually. I could have. Maybe I'm not a fun baseball fan, but I actually don't think it's all that great. I did tweet that I was rooting for uh, Julio Rodriguez to win, mm. which, he, which he almost did. Yeah. He is another very fun player to root for. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely he definitely made a run for it. I was not able to watch. I definitely would have. I just was in a, a reading. But I don't know. I think I was sort of rooting for Juan Soto to win and wasn't necessarily sure that he would. Obviously, I was also rooting for Kyle Schwarber. But I was quite pleased with this outcome, frankly, with the, with the overall trajectory of an event that I did not get to watch. <laughs> no, Mr. Soto is, is also a, a wonderful player. Um, I should actually ask you about Kyle Schwarber. He's fun. He hits baseballs uh, far distance. He was also the only Phillies player on the roster, which sort of had me scratching my head. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I think Kyle Schwarber deserved to be there. And Bryce Harper, of course, was voted in, but is just injured in, you know, now a number of ways. And so, yeah, it was good to have Kyle Schwarber there. I feel like... I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but I I feel like given that Bryce Harper was voted in, it would have been nice to have Kyle Schwarber maybe as the starting DH for to sort of have him be the replacement for Bryce Harper instead of uh, Contreras. Although I understand the fun of having the two brothers bat back to back. I I completely get that. And that's a sort of a, a storyline that everybody can hang their, you know, blog posts on and so maybe that's what it's maybe that's what it's all about but given that Kyle Schwarber's the home the the National League home run leader it's not like he's a a replacement necessarily and yeah I mean I think that the most shocking snub uh for Phillies fans is Zach Wheeler and it felt to me like he probably said that he didn't want to go to the All-Star game after initially not being named just when so many replacements. Like I was sort of like, okay, okay, Carlos Rodon. And then at a certain point, I was like, Tyler Anderson instead of Zach Wheeler? Not that Tyler Anderson hasn't had a great season. But that's perhaps me just kind of reading those tea leaves. But I think that obviously having Zach Wheeler having had his spring training during the regular season, he had he pitched no innings whatsoever in spring training for anybody who may not remember this fact. So he was doing his spring training during the regular season and came out with decreased velocity and everybody was very concerned, but he was just having spring training. But I think that perhaps hurt his chances of being named because even with that, you know, he's still been one of the best pitchers in baseball. And Unfortunately, he had a bad final start versus Toronto that if anybody wants to hang their blog posts on something, they can be like, he is disappointed from his all-star snub. But, you know, yeah, he's been Zach Wheeler. He's he's just been exceptional. He has so many different ways, obviously, that he can attack hitters. And it's it's sort of, it's it was fun to see him put it all together last year of sort of, he had he had learned uh, the the previous season or not learned but he he had it was clear that he was like i'm just going to try to sort of like pitch to soft contact and keep, get people out and go deep into games and then sort of putting that together with the obvious sort of strikeout stuff that he has has just been wonderful to see his ascension 
And I also, I always think about how uh, my friend Nick Pollock has had joyous, like, complete breakdowns on looking at Zach Wheeler's O-swing on his sinker, which is uh, always astronomical. I think it's like above 50% at this point. So yeah, all-star, all-star snub. I mean, obviously... I am uh, the Aaron Nola fan person, and uh, I I think Aaron Nola could have deserved to go to the All Star Game as well. So it's it's potentially a couple of pitchers there who could have been on the roster and weren't. I do not disagree. They were both deserving, especially Wheeler. And on the subject of deserving, there are some very notable former Philadelphia Phillies players who are not in the Hall of Fame and arguably should be. Who do you think would top that list? Oh, well, I mean, I think atop the list of pretty much any baseball player who should be in the Hall of Fame who is not is probably Dick Allen. So I feel like he certainly has to be at the top of the list for for Phillies players. And I I remember my my friend Carlos Marcano wrote an excellent article over at Pitcher List in advance of the last sort of tragic uh, golden era committee failure, thinking that Allen would finally get in, making just a really great case for sort of statistically all of the reasons why. Alan, I'll, I'll see if I can pull it up here. But, you know, he was making the statistical case. And also, I think sort of the human case that many people have talked about, I would say more recently, but certainly over the years of everything that Alan endured in terms of them, for example, the Phillies insisting on calling him Richie when nobody had ever called him Richie. He didn't want to be called Richie. The kind of the way that that disrespect of what you want to be called uh, can erode a person's feeling of well-being. And obviously, you know, getting thrown out by Philadelphia fans, the famous one of the I think one of the famous times that Philadelphia fans threw batteries at a player. Oh, God. And like his his fight with Frank Thomas, not the good one, the other Frank Thomas. And You know, so all of these things made it so much more difficult for him to perform at a high level. And nevertheless, he did. So it's it's a real tragedy that he did not see himself inducted into the Hall of Fame in his lifetime. Although, you know, the um, the Phillies did retire his number in in 2020 before he died. So at least that happened. But uh, here, a couple of the things that that Carlos pointed out that I thought were very cool. His uh, OPS plus from 1964 to 1974 was 165, which in that same time frame, some of the players that had that in no less than 550 plate appearances, Willie McCovey, Hank Aaron, Carl Yastrzemski, Harmon Killebrew, Frank Robinson, and Willie Stargell, and none of them had a higher OPS plus than Allen during that long stretch. And obviously, they're all Hall of Famers. And also, his career OPS plus of 156, it is higher than uh, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, and Mel Ott. And his baseball reference war uh, is higher than Kirby Puckett and Ralph Kiner. So 
even if you decide not to take into consideration sort of the context in which Alan was unfortunately playing in Philadelphia, I know things were better for him in St. Louis. Nevertheless, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Ellen, you have mentioned uh, a few advanced stats in the last few minutes. Earlier, you mentioned O-Swing. You've mentioned uh, Pitcher List. I guess you're actually kind of a nerd, aren't you? I'm such a nerd. Oh, my God. I'm, yes, yes, absolutely 100% a nerd. I'm definitely, I am on occasion on MLB Network's Off Base, and I feel like you know, we we do this very fun segment where we talk about people's outfits. <laughs> and I find that I'm always being like, this is this player's, you know, I'm always comparing it to stats because it's just somehow what I see. It's just like my brain. Anyway, yeah, I'm a total nerd. <laughs> no, we like nerds at Fangraphs. So uh, this isn't really a nerd question, but the Phillies, your favorite baseball team, went from being a not very good baseball team to a very good baseball team after firing Joe Girardi and making Rob Thompson the manager. Coincidence or cause and effect? Oh, gosh. This, This is tough because, I mean, I think it is cause and effect. On the other hand... At the time of the firing, I was like, this is stupid. This is not going to do anything. This is like I'm embarrassed. For like two days, I didn't wear any Philadelphia Philly stuff, which just statistically, if I'm going to put on a piece of clothing, like it probably has a Phillies logo on it somewhere. And uh, so this was a concerted thing because I was just like, I don't want anybody on the subway to be like, hey, what about that? Like, it's the rare moment in my life when I'm like, I don't want somebody to approach me and talk about the Phillies. And what I thought at the time was the Phillies schedule upcoming is getting a lot easier than it has been to this point. The Phillies, to the point when they had fired Joe Girardi, had had one of the most difficult schedules in the National League. And so I thought, well, if they win a lot of games now, then it's where it's going to look like causation, but actually it's going to be that their schedule just got easier and people are going to sort of draw the wrong conclusion. And so maybe I'm now that person that I forecasted who's drawing the wrong conclusion. But I do think that there's just a definite different vibe with this Phillies team. And the one thing that I can point to that feels demonstrative is the fact that Joe Girardi, like many other managers, really wasn't playing the young kids. They are affectionately referred to as daycare by the Phillies. He was not playing the daycare players, and he was sort of like holding them in reserve. And I think with Rob Thompson, he was just like, why not let the kids play? It's an MLB slogan, why not go ahead and and do that? And, you know, we have seen the daycare players really step up since that time. And I think that the just getting everyday playing time has made a big difference for those young players. And like, you know, none of them are lighting the world on fire, but certainly in that first week, when uh, the, you know, or I guess it was more than a week when the, in the undefeated Rob Thompson era, um, when the Phillies went on a, a sort of a winning streak after uh, Girardi was fired, 
certainly a lot of the heroes that we saw in that moment were, you know, like Bryson Stott, who had been very cold up to that point, or Alec Bohm suddenly looking much better, or Matt Veerling, who I like, I just, I, I love this kid. I, I love him so much. I feel like a player like Matt Veerling is part of good baseball teams and the Phillies have needed someone to to sort of fill that role and I imagine that like no one outside of Phillies fans are probably noticing him but he can play so many different positions with at least like slightly above average defense he plays center field and he's like subbed in at that at third base and second uh despite coming up as an outfielder and his defense is pretty good and I love him and my my nickname for him over the off season was uh was Matt Exit Velocity Veerling because I felt like every ball even if it was just a base hit was like oh like 90 miles an hour and I mean, the problem, if if this is a problem for for essentially like a utility bat that nobody really expected to be much of a prospect, is that he was hitting the ball on the ground too much, but he's been elevating it a lot more this year. And, you know, he's been striking out less and walking more. So sorry, I just went on like a Matt Veerling tangent, but I, I could do that about any number of these players. And I think that it's you know it's understandable that that Joe Girardi in a sense i think knew that he was playing for his job and Rob Thompson in in that particular sense has less to lose he's like well then like why not play the young kids so i understand that but i think that you know after Girardi was fired Bryce Harper came out and had some sort of veiled comments about I think he was mad he's really taken Bryson Stott under his wing and he was mad that that the way that Stott was not played even when he was in the majors and sort of like the way that he was sent down and brought back up and so on and I think that in the in the whole clubhouse there was perhaps this like sense of Girardi not letting the team be the team and I think that now what we hear, and of course, you know, that's sort of like a self-selecting sample size, but what we hear is like everybody loves each other and like they're just having a good time playing. And, you know, that's hard because obviously winning brings about good vibes and losing brings about bad vibes. And so it can be kind of a feedback loop that way. But I think that it feels evident what a manager does at this point when there's so much front office input in terms of the way that the lineups are constructed and even sort of in-game management and so on. Like a manager's really just in charge of esprit de corps and it seems like Girardi wasn't maybe doing a great job at that and perhaps that's also the reason why he was fired by the Yankees and that Rob Thompson is maybe just gives a better St. Crispin's Day speech. And the team is now a contender whether you know, regardless of how much Rob Thompson has to do with that, which brings me to my hypothetical about Philly's World Series that I mentioned earlier. Oh, fun. Along with a favorite team, Ellen, most all of us fans have other teams that we like m more than others. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that in mind, if let's say the Phillies go to the World Series, you know, or just the NLCS and lose, which team would you least mind them losing to. Okay. So it needs to be a National League team. 
that they would be losing to in this. Or an American League team in the World Series. I mean, that's pretty easy because as we were already talking about, uh, I lived in Boston and I have a faction for the Red Sox. And so the Red Sox, I mean, I also have a lot of affection for the A's, partly for the Philadelphia connection and partly for the, like, I was a huge fan of this last A's team as constructed, but I'm, I'm very sad that they have been, you know, primarily cast to the winds and are going to continue to disperse wherever Frankie Montas ends up going. So not only do I think it's probably not likely with this A's team, even if it's not particularly likely with this Phillies team either, I feel like I can't even condone what uh, what the A's have done by choosing them at this moment in history. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I, I like the Cubs Strangely, I I have a I have a weird affection for the Diamondbacks. I feel like there's there's probably a very obvious National League team that I'm that I'm not thinking of because my husband is a Mets fan. Once the Phillies are out of it, I am able to root for the Mets. On the other hand, I feel like in some sort of weird triangulation where the where the Phillies and the Mets played each other in the postseason and the Phillies lost, I think I would hold it against the Mets for some time. So that would be hard. No, Ellen, I think that would be a little dirty. <laughs> I, I would feel dirty if I was a Phillies fan rooting for the Mets. Well, you know what? It's the tenuous agreement upon which our relationship is predicated. And and like, you know, in, in 2015, I had no problem at all rooting for the Mets. And I think partly that was because like the Phillies hadn't been good at all. So it's like they weren't ever really in competition. So I was like, yeah, like Phillies are no longer playing. Let's go Mets. And I do hate Atlanta. I, I think that the the teams that I have particular hatred for are are the Yankees and Atlanta because they were just you know so good when I was like a small person and I just like hate them historically for that reason. So honestly, like at this point in the season, I'll be honest. I'm also like hashtag Let's Go Mets because the I doubt the Phillies are going to win the division, and so I would prefer it be the Mets. Speaking of you being a small person, I have read that you are a big Von Hayes fan as a little person. I was. I was an extremely small person when I was a Von Hayes fan, yes. And Von Hayes played throughout the 1980s. Um, you're going to hate me for this, Alan, but I'm going to give you a quiz. Oh, no, I'm going to 100% fail this quiz. Yes. But no, no, no. Like, give me the quiz. Give it to me. But like, I, I don't know why I liked Von Hayes. I was like three. And I was just like, that's the one. Like, I probably saw him hit a couple of homers. And I was like, that's that's my guy. But yeah. Okay, I, I will hit you with it anyway. And, go, uh, go for it. The, I think you will actually like the answer, uh, which conceivably, you know, Hayes was traded from the Phillies to the Angels in 1991. One of the players the Phillies got back was a pitcher named Kyle Abbott. The other was an outfielder who was very well known in, in Philadelphia. Who was it? I don't know. It's Ruben Amaro. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Ruben being a former <laughs> guest on this show. So, Ruben, if you happen to be listening to this, you can probably forgive Ellen. Yeah, please forgive me. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry for not remembering that fact. Okay. Uh, 
And I think I'm going to do something fun here that I may have done on a- Oh no, fun. Yeah, we haven't had fun yet, but I think this <laughs> I think this one is fun. A year or two ago on a podcast, I opened a pack of current baseball cards, which I will do here. A 2021 Tops pack, 16 cards. And for any Phillies player that is in there, you can tell me something about him. Oh, okay, great. So here we go. I'm not cheating. We can probably hear the tearing. <laughs> yeah, that's, if, if that's not a real baseball card pack, then that's really good Foley. Yes. So here we go. Okay. Uh, not a Philly. Oh, well, second one. Bryce Harper. Wow. This was not choreographed. <laughs> no, no. I mean, wh- what what is there to be said about Bryce Harper, except for that he is not overrated, except for that everybody continues to, to chant that, um, which is very frustrating to me. Yeah, I to me, of course, my life right now is just thinking about when will Bryce Harper return, which I think is supposed to be late August. And I'm just waiting for the inevitable, like, we're not making trade acquisitions because it's going to be like we got a trade when we get Bryce Harper and Gene Segura back. And that's ridiculous because it's like, no, 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 they were they were already part of this team and that the Phillies have uh, managed to hold it together in the absence of Bryce Harper. Anyway, uh, feels like a feels like a real Success, honestly. I mean, another thing about Bryce Harper that I know off the top of my head is that he led the league with a 1044 OPS last year. And uh, and I, I think also led the league in like the win probability added and, and uh, championship win probability added. Maybe I am saying these things off the top of my head and so they could be entirely incorrect. But there were any number of reasons why I felt like he definitely deserved to be the National League MVP. There is actually a second Philly, actually technically a, a former Philly now, in the card set from last year. It was uh, rookie right-hander Spencer Howard. So I don't know if you can really weigh in on a player who was there for a heartbeat and is now gone. Yeah, well, it's it's a very... It's a sad situation with Spencer Howard because, you know, in some ways it's kind of hard to know what exactly happened with uh with with his development but it's also sad to see that he hasn't been particularly successful with the rangers either and i feel like i wish that there were some sort of long german term for the feeling that you have about a prospect when or or like a young player when they're traded away and on the one hand you're rooting for them to do well because you were invested in them doing well for so long. And like, I'm always rooting for every baseball player to like do well and be the best baseball player that they can be. And on the other hand, if they leave your organization and then they just light the world on fire, doesn't that also suck? (laughs) So yeah, in some ways, I remember there being a report coming out after Spencer Howard was traded, where he was like, "Yeah, the you know the Phillies completely screwed me up with their with the sort of like the way that they brought him up and and forced him into the majors at a time when like he maybe wasn't ready and and they wanted him throwing these pitches and he should have just done this." And he you know said something like, "Now I'm gonna." 
throw pitches like I know how to throw them and everything's going to be great. And like, uh, spoiler alert, things have not been great since going over to the Rangers. And so it's yeah, it's I'm I'm sorry that he hasn't put things together. But in a way, it's like, oh, well, at least somebody else wasn't able to immediately fix him. So with creating the German term, Alan, I don't know if you're bilingual in German or not. I'm not. I'm not remotely. I just like the very long words that they make. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should learn Finnish. It, sure, it could be a Finnish term also. I just feel like the Germans do such a good job at creating a word for something where you feel both bad and good at the same time. No, they're good at angst. Uh, yeah, they're good I, at I, angst. I, I would be tempted to say more so than the Finns, but that would actually be very untrue. <laughs> mm. So, so hey, a few more things, Alan. I want to ask you about somebody who I guess technically isn't part of the Kitty Corps because he's 26 now, I think. And he actually wasn't there when Joe Girardi was on the team. But Derek Hall got called up. Yeah. Flash in the pan or somewhat of a late blooming slugger? <sighs> That's an excellent question. I mean, I'm a Phillies fan, and so there's there is a way in which I am so surprised that something has gone well that I don't believe that it can actually sustain itself. It is absolutely hilarious that the Phillies somehow had, like in reserve, more DHs having, of course, like assembled a team of three to seven opening day DHs. But it is true that like as as a replacement for Bryce Harper, Hall has not been bad at all. Like he's been batting cleanup, which it's like, well, he's been better than Nick Castellanos by a bit. So yeah, I guess of all the prospects that have that have come up that you'd expect to sort of like copy and paste their minor league stats more or less onto the major leagues, I don't think it's the one that nobody was expecting to see in the majors at all. So I I don't know. I mean, I think he's legitimately good. Obviously, I'm saying that in the past. Like he has been good. I don't think it's been fluky. I think that, you know, he can he can hit and he can hit for power. And so because it hasn't been fluky, I want to believe that it will it will sustain itself. But I guess the the completely unexpected nature of it and the fact that I know that any rookie or we've seen plenty of rookies come up and do well and then sort of not be able to make adjustments to the adjustments. If we saw that happen with Derek Hall also I would not be that surprised. Let's close, Ellen, with uh, some way back Phillies history. A fantastic power hitter who had a fair bit of, uh, maybe he needs a German word for his actual life as well, is uh, Hall of Famer Big Ed Delahanty, uh, <laughs> a player who the brilliant uh, baseball project you know, wrote a song about. Do you know about Big Ed I, I know a few things about him, you know, like an, an, a 19th century and early 20th century player. And I do know that that he was, you know, a power hitter for the time. And uh, I think also like a high batting average guy. And the main thing that I know about him is that he he died going over Niagara Falls. And that this was in some way also emblematic of the way that he lived. I think he he um, he he drank a lot. I think he was sort of the 
uh, absolute stereotype of like turn of the century Irish drunk, probably. <laughs> and so I I think the story was that he was he was go he was on a train and he was kicked off for like rabble rousing after after being drunk. And then it's like unclear if he may have committed suicide and jumped off the bridge or if he just sort of accidentally got swept off it because he was drunk. Both of these things seem like real uh, possibilities. Right. So, Ellen, you I think you have passed your 1800s Phillies quiz question <laughs> in, in, in flying colors. Sorry, Ruben Amaro. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah, we've dissed Ruben and you know all about uh, Big Ed. Hey. Well, he's also I if I if I recall one of two instances in Philadelphia sports history of players getting stuck in a doghouse on the field. So like this was a thing. This is a thing I know about because of our podcast. This was a thing they used to have these little like dog houses on the field sometimes to like store equipment or like to store stuff for the scoreboard and I I I think he got stuck in a dog house one time allowing a home run and the same thing happened to an athletics player, Sock Siebold, we talked about that um, on on our podcast, uh, who was playing on on the athletics, and uh, both of those things feel very emblematic of of Philadelphia baseball sports history to me. No, and and there is probably a uh, a Ruben Amaro doghouse analogy to work in here somewhere, but <laughs> I'm that, not going to be so, the one to do it. No, so, sorry, Ruben, <laughs> you're a good man. <laughs> So, hey, we should quit while we're behind, while, while I am behind. Ellen, you know, great conversation. It was uh, super to have you as a guest on Fangraphs Audio. Oh, my goodness. It was such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Fangraphs Audio. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Ellen Adair for joining us. Ellen hosts two podcasts, Take Me Into the Ball Game and Love Takes Action. You can give Ellen a follow on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair. If you are looking for more Futures game and draft coverage, our very own Eric Longenhagen stopped by the Effectively Wild podcast to lay it all out on episode 1879. So head on over and check that out. If you're looking for more merch, head on over to BreakingTea.com, where there's a cool new batch of fan graphs and Effectively Wild threads for you to peruse. Finally, if you haven't signed up for the Fangraphs newsletter, I highly recommend it. It is the best way to hear about everything we have going on, free to your inbox every weekday. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.